We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The Zone Coverage Podcast Network. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by ZoneCoverage.com and the Zone Coverage Podcast Network. It is December 23rd, and as I record this, the Minnesota Timberwolves are currently on a 10-game losing streak. And I just want to start because of that, because of that losing streak. I want to start by saying thank you for listening. Um, it be very easy for you to check out with this team and thus to check out from a Timberwolves-centric podcast. Your time is valuable, and I understand that. I understand watching a team that is losing can feel like a waste of your time. But you are definitely giving your time to the show, and I just want to say that that means a lot to me. Thank you. Happy holidays. And know that your commitment to this show and the way that you've helped it grow is just a really cool gift to me personally. So today for the show, per usual, I'm going to hit on – it's just going to be a me episode because I didn't want to bring anybody in here – on the 23rd, people are traveling for the holidays, so it's just me, and I'm going to hit on, as I always do, kind of what's been happening with the Wolves, and we're going to look at some film review of uh, an upcoming opponent, the Sacramento Kings, who the Wolves play the day after Christmas. But to return the favor for your uh, commitment to this podcast and for listening over the holidays is I'm going to do a trade podcast. It's, other than the Kings film review, this is going to be all about fake trades, and uh, everyone loves fake trades, so... Merry Christmas, I guess, for that. Uh, we are currently on December 23rd, about six and a half weeks away from the trade deadline. So this episode will kind of be the start of my plan to, over these six weeks, sprinkle in trade line, trade deadline-specific shows um, that focus on one team and how they kind of mesh with the Wolves. So when I do these shows, like I'm going to do today with the Oklahoma City Thunder, it's just going to be about one team. And how that team's roster meshes with the Wolves for a potential trade. Uh, as more and more teams kind of present themselves as sellers or are significantly rumored to be in talks with the Wolves, we'll dig in further to those teams. If, if there becomes more steam to the Dennis Smith Jr. rumor, um, I'll dig into how the Wolves mesh with the Knicks. You get it. It's um, it's going to be a team-by-team -team, uh, approach to looking at the trade deadline. So I thought that the – an obvious place to start, an obvious team to start with was the Oklahoma City Thunder. Uh, it's just easy to look up and down the OKC roster and find pieces that sort of make sense to be traded, just given the the state of their franchise, which we should point out, or I should point out that they aren't a bad team. They I just actually finished watching their game um, from Sunday night against 
the Clippers that the Thunder won, boosting the record to 15 and 14 on the year. They're currently the seventh seed in the West. I think outside of that top six, they're, they seem right now with this roster to be one of the most likely teams to make the playoffs in the West. But they are a team um, with a lot of sort of roster question marks. They Their two best players are, are point guards in Chris Paul and Shea Gilgis-Alexander. And those two players are 13 years apart in age. It's not their, it's not going to be the Thunder's long-term plan to, to focus on building around those two. You you wouldn't think. So you'd think at least they're going to be considering mixing things up over time, um, whether that be with Chris Paul, um, but even some of the other guys like uh, Dennis Schroeder, Danilo Gallinari, Danilo Gallinari, Stephen Adams, Nerlens Noel, Terrence Ferguson. Um, those are all guys who. I think we will see their names pop up as, as the deadline gets closer. And, you know, for that reason, today, we'll, we'll look at how those players do or do not mesh with uh, kind of what the Wolves are building. I do also want to say that this does feel a bit premature to be having a trade conversation. It's literally not even Christmas. Um, but I think as it pertains to this Wolves team, and particularly because they're on a 10-game losing streak, um, it's not only fun to talk about trades, but each game, even if it's a win or a loss for this Wolves team, is adding up to be further and further evidence that this roster is just kind of incompatible with the style of play that they want to implement this season and into future seasons, right? We know that the system is supposed to be about three things. They want to play fast, they want to spread the floor by shooting threes, and they want to be solid defensively. Um, over this losing streak since Thanksgiving, uh, they're 12th in pace. They're not playing very fast. While they are fourth in three-point volume, over that time, they're 24th in three-point percentage, and they are last in defense efficiency. So because of that and other just roster construction reasons, I think the Wolves are also a team that's ripe for trade consideration. Um, it's There's been, you know, since the Rosa's regime came in, there's been ample conversation about you know fairly substantial movement potential hap- potentially happening to this roster we know that this group maybe not even this core is the is the core that will be you know in place for the next really good Timberwolves team so i just think that makes the trade conversation relevant enough and i feel that Oklahoma City has some roster options that could synergize well with the Wolves in a theoretical trade and, you know, that's that's worth looking into. We'll see what does what does match up. I'm not going to just try and square peg round hole all six of those players into trades. It's, you know, let's call a spade a spade and say maybe Chris Paul doesn't fit. Maybe Steven Adams doesn't fit. Let's let's dig into that. So that's where we'll start today. After a quick break, we'll get into the Thunder. All right. I think the place to start with Oklahoma City, as we consider them as a trade partner for the Timberwolves, is with Chris Paul. Um, mostly because that sort of deal is, is, is hard to make sense of. Chris Paul, um, who turns 35 years old in May, is making $38.5 million this year, $41.4 million next year, and $44.2 million uh, the following season. So that's, including this year, three years and $124 million left on his current contract. For context, as we often like to cite... Andrew Wiggins is Andrew Wiggins somewhat bloated contract. He has four years and $122 million. So a whole extra year and, and even less money is, is what Wiggins is making compared to Paul. Paul is, has been a good player in this league, but he's getting older. And that contract is, I mean, pretty much as bloated as any deal um, can be in the league. So uh, I think though, you know, let's, let's, let's look at it. What, what would it, what would it take? I mean, we know the Wolves are interested in a point guard. So even even if it seems crazy, I think it's, you know, it's up on their whiteboard. It's 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 worth considering. So for the Wolves to match salaries with that 38 and a half million that Paul makes this year, they would need to send out 30.7 million uh, to to match the salaries with Paul. Now really, I mean, obviously let's leave out Cat and you know for the sake of this probably leave out Wiggins too. I just I just want to highlight how how much this doesn't make 
doesn't really make sense because even if it were Teague and Jang, Gorgie Jang, straight up for Andrew Wiggins, it would be or for sorry for Chris Paul, it would be hard. It would be hard for the Wolves to justify that. The money would work. Teague and Jang combined are making thirty-five point two million this year, so that matches with Paul's thirty-eight and a half. But would the Wolves even do that? I I think that even just in a vacuum right there, would they would they do that trade? And yes, it would make them a lot better this year, of course. But you got to look at that forty-one point four for Chris Paul next year, and then particularly the forty-four point two the year after that. Already for next season, the Wolves have one hundred and one million in guaranteed salary. And that's only for seven players. That's Wiggins, 29.5, Cat, 29.5, Gorgie's making 17.3, Covington's making 12.1, Jarrett Culver, 6.1, Jake Lehman, 3.8, and Josh Okogie, 2.7. Those are the only players who are guaranteed salaries for next season. Bates Diop, Noel, and Nasri are all non-guaranteed. So just with those seven, again, that's $101 million. The salary cap next season is 116. And they have to fill out the whole rest of the roster with the with the luxury tax line at 141. So uh, remember, no Teague expires. So Teague isn't even included in that 101. So if we just swap Jang and Chris Paul for next year, that's 24.1 million more that Chris Paul is making than Gorgie Jang next year. That would, that would mean the Wolves, if they did that, just the Teague and Jang for Chris Paul trade, that the Wolves would already be at $125 million to just seven players. That's that Those players, it'd be decent players. Be Chris Paul, Wiggins, Towns, um, Covington, Culver, Lehman, Akogi. But, and, I mean, that would be, be a decent team, but they'd be, they'd be nine over the cap, 16 mil below the tax. That's just not much. And, I mean, if you if you consider that... If the Wolves were to have a lottery pick, again, and that they didn't make the playoffs, even if they made this trade, a lottery pick's going to probably cost you around $6 million if it's kind of in the same range as where Jarrett Culver was this year. I mean, remember, salaries boost. So that's $6 million. And then if they spent the mid-level exception on another player, the mid-level will be like $10 million next year. There goes your $16 million that you're below the tax. So you'd be already into the luxury tax with just nine players. If, if they made the Teague and Jang for Chris Paul swap. And that's even before considering the $44.2 million that Paul makes in the 2021-22 season. That year, I mean, in, remember, 2021-22 year, that's the, that's the big free agent boom again. That's when Kawhi is a free agent. Paul George, Giannis, and I know the Wolves aren't in that group, but it's, there's, a, there's a long list of players who become available that year. If you, if you make a move for Chris Paul, by that year you have – you have Chris Paul making 44.2, Cat making 31.7, and Wiggins making 31.6. That would be 107.5 million committed to just those three players. Just to th- <coughs> just to three players, that's that's 17.5 million below the cap with 12 more roster spots to fill. <coughs> Covington and Culver will combine to make 19.4 million that year. So there you go. Cap space would be gone to just five players. And again, that's a big summer. So I would I would just be shocked if the Wolves front office committed to to hamstringing themselves financially in that sort of way by committing well over a hundred million dollars to just Cat Wiggins. And then speaking of hamstrings, you know that uh, he would be what would Chris Paul would be thirty six years old by then, turning thirty seven. I mean that would just it would just be hard to it would be hard to rationalize that. There's there's he'll be so he'll be thirty six that year. There are five players in the NBA this season who are thirty six or older. Vince Carter, Udonis Haslam, Kyle Korver, Nene, and Tyson Chandler. So I mean th- this whole Chris Paul thing, whether it's the Wolves or with anybody, he is just he he's a mess to trade for because of that forty four million for a year. When a when a bunch of free agents are available, he's going to be 36 years old, and it's just highly unlikely that as a point guard he's going to be returning you even a fraction of that 44 million. So, again, I I think for the Wolves it it doesn't mesh. It's it doesn't make a lot of sense. And um, I I think if we're if we're talking Wolves and we're talking a realistic Wolves Thunder trade for a point guard, 
The the player to look at is Dennis Schroeder. Schroeder just turned 26 in September. He's making 15 and a half this year, 15 and a half next, and then he would be expiring right before that big 2021 summer. So that that financial bubble, that 15 and a half he makes would would be enough right with Gorgie Jang, right? Jang Jang's contract is the same framework. He has Jang makes 16.2 this year and 17.3 next. It's the same time frame as as Schroeder. Now, I I don't I'm not saying I'll get into Schroeder's been playing well recently. I'll get into that. I'm not I still not going to say that 15 and a half for Schroeder this year and 15 and a half for him next year is a good deal. He I recognize he has a a long history of inconsistent play, but but it, it's pretty undeniable that Schroeder is the the archetype of the point guard that makes sense in this Wolves system that we know that Gerson Rosas and Ryan Saunders want to implement. He can play very fast. I mean, he is he's more of a, a willing shooter than than Jeff Teague is, of course. He's he's uh, he's shooting a third of his shots from three point range, you know, t- and and he's making thirty four percent of them. Teague. Uh, Teague has actually made 40% of his threes this year, which is just kind of crazy. But we know he doesn't have the volume. He's only 27% of his field goal attempts um, have come from three for the Wolves this year. You know, Teague, anyone who's watched him play knows that he he prefers to prod into the middle of the lane rather than, than get that shot up. I mean, Schroeder has some of that in his game, but but he, he has illustrated, particularly in these past two years since going to the Thunder, you know, a, a, a willingness to shoot threes, a, a greater volume of them. Um I, I guess you can say Schroeder's money is equally problematic to Jang's, but that's that's because Jang's I mean Jang's is just problematic. Um but but a reason that, that Gorgie's money is is so problematic is because he's behind Carl Anthony Towns, who's gonna play thirty four minutes a night, so it leaves fourteen minutes of backup center time. That that's even if even if Jang was a better player, it's it it's so hard to justify that type of you know, salary to a backup to your best player. I mean, Schroeder would be just a better positional fit. We, we know that this team has way more point guard minutes available. And he's, he's also just a better, a better player than Jang. He, he has, particularly this season, Schroeder has ample experience playing off the ball. Um, you know, we'll see where this point Wiggins experiment goes, but theoretically you could, those two would be fairly easy to, you know, play together. Schroeder again is is a willing willing to kind of spot up off the ball, and to you know play in action with an with another lead guard. Wiggins, you know, Wiggins could be that. So, it, I, I think it's fairly obvious to say that a Jang for Schroeder deal would straight up would be would be an obvious advantage for the Wolves. So then it becomes a question of compensation. You know, what are the what would the Wolves have to attach in addition to Jang? You know, to to bring that back and I, I mean I, I don't I don't know where any of this stage you know this is the part of trades where we're, we're guessing but but to me you know trading a first a lottery protected first in addition to Jang that would that would kind of seem like a lot and I think a second round pick if you're if you're OKC what you know why would you do that why 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 would a second round pick justify the the drop off in production from from Schroeder to Jank, particularly as like, you know, they're trying to kind of make a playoff push this year, it seems. And, and the Thunder have a ton of draft capital from that Paul George trade. I mean, they have a mil- I mean, they got five picks and pick swaps from, from the Paul George trade. So I think t- to make any sort of Schroeder deal happen, you're going to need to make it worth their while. I think we're talking about, it's going to need to be a first round pick along this framework. But I, I, I do think it's it's noteworthy that the, the Thunder are already into the tax um, for this season, and and Jang makes 700k more than Dennis Schroeder, so that would you know that would they're trying to get under the tax that would boost them up to 1.6 million over the tax the Thunder, so I mean maybe to justify the outgoing first the Thunder also attached Nerlens Noel to that deal, and it becomes Nerlens Noel makes 1.62 million. So it would get them under, you know, under the tax line in in the deal, and the Wolves would get Schroeder and Noel. Maybe that justifies um, in outgoing first. The, the Thunder would have the advantage of because if Jang just went in without Noel, they would have a real logjam at center between Adams, 
Noel and Jang. You know, if, if Noel's out, then then Gorgie could be, you know, could be their backup center. I mean, I just think, I think that makes some sense for them, and I I would assume they'd be happy to get back a first for Schroeder, or they certainly would have, you know, a month or two ago. Again, Schroeder's been playing really well, but I don't know. I I think it's that's a if you if you're the Wolves and you want to prioritize, you know, implementing this system this year. And, and really growing within it to have a player like Dennis Schroeder step in and be your starting point guard to, to allow you to play with pace, allow your team to, to shoot some more threes. It would be, you know, it would be, it would just be a lot better of a fit than Jeff Teague. He would, Teague would, I would assume in some sort of corresponding move be, be sent out elsewhere. And I, and I think no one's will be an interesting piece too. He's a, you know, he's a bigger, better Jordan Bell. I mean, Noel's not going to spread the floor at all. He's not going to shoot. But I think it'd be pretty interesting to really get a look at what what would it what would Cat look like at, alongside a real rim defender in Nerlens Noel, and Cat would kind of slide into the four four and a half sort of role there um, when he's playing alongside Noel. That would I think that would at least give them and I, Noel's an expiring contract, but you'd have the whole second half of the year to be able to see what we haven't had the chance to see much of of Cat alongside a legitimate rim defender. I think it'd be almost in and of that, just the, the test time there would be would be really worth it. And then it kind of, I feel like I've been bearing the lead here. Schroeder has been just really good this season. And I, I, I said it before, I acknowledge he's a player who has been consistently inconsistent. But, I mean, I just, I pulled up his, his, his stats this year is 18-4-4, four and four, but he the, these last 15 games, he's been, he's just been crazy good. He's 21 a game, 39% from three, almost six threes per game, 60.3% true shooting. And the Thunder, when he's on the floor, have outscored opponents by eight points um, per 100 possessions. I mean, he's been a, a really meaningfully positive player for that team. And if you just cut it for the last five, that shortest line is ridiculous. He's, he's averaged 25 points, five rebounds, and six assists per game. And 43% shooting, again, on six threes per game. And and at the true shooting level of sixty three point six, that's where that's where Cat is at. I mean, it's, he's just shooting it at a really high level. And over these last five, the reason he's this week's Western Conference Player of the Week is is the Thunder have been outscoring opponents by seventeen points per hundred possessions while Schroeder's been on the floor the last five games. He's he's just he, I understand the the people who are resistant to the Schroeder idea, but Schroeder's having a hell of a year. He's number two. Right now, um, in ESPN's real plus minus amongst point guards, only trailing D- Damian Lillard. So, if you're hesitant on Schroeder, you know, I, I would just say watch a Thunder game. I think this is a guy who there, there was a couple years back when he was in Atlanta. There was this idea that you know, what is Dennis Schroeder going to come into once he's into his prime? And it was it was a kind of hollow past couple of years. But now he's 26, you know, theoretically approaching that prime, and he looks—he really does look like he's becoming the player that, you know, <laughs> that we hoped he would be back in the day when he was uh, split in the Atlanta backcourt with, uh, ironically, Jeff T. Moving on to uh, Danilo Gallinari, who is uh, obviously another name that we're going to see out, um, you know, out on this trade rumor mill a ton this these next couple months because he's on an expiring deal worth 22.6 million um he was kind of just the the salary fodder that that made the paul george deal work Um, he's a a very good player and you know has provided value for them for this thunder team this season um but but it's hard to it's hard to say that he's definitely a long-term piece there i think if you if you surveyed the nba he's one of if not the most likely uh, player to be moved at this deadline. So, if we're talking about um, how the Wolves and the Thunder mesh up, we gotta we gotta look at Gallinari too. Um, and I think on the surface, you know, as we've been really frustrated with this this terrible shooting from the Wolves recently, it's it's hard to not look at Gallinari and be like, boom, there you go. You got your stretch four. You you slide Covington down to the three. Uh, Gallo made forty three percent from three last season. He averaged twenty six and three last year. He's shooting 40% um, percent from deep again this year on career high volume. Over half of his shots are coming from three, um, which is a big jump from his from his Clippers days. Uh, but that's about all the positives I can <laughs> I can really put together um, 
on a hypothetical, you know, acquisition for the Wolves. He's just, he's nowhere near the ideal um, defensive pair for Cat in the front court. If you, if you go through his, his numbers historically, he comes up um, negative in defensive real plus, plus minus the majority of seasons. This year, he's, he's very negative. He's right between Kyle Kuzma and Kelly Olynyk in defensive real plus minus, which I think is a pretty fair and uh, stark <laughs> representation of where he's at defensively. So, you know, with Gallo being 31 years old, it's, it, it's hard for me to consider. But again, you know, let's, if the Wolves are buyers and they, they just want some, some guy, they want a rental, um, it would again probably be it would probably be Jang or Teague would be the, the framework there. So if it were Gorgie Jang, um, his 16.2 million is not enough to match up with, uh, with Gallo's 22.6. So they would, the Wolves would need to add 2 million to make it work. So basically that means um, in one player, it would mean Noah Vonley or Josh Okoge would need to be in the trade. Um, I, I think it would, uh, I mean, Gallo is expiring. So this is different than Schroeder. Jang having another year, that would be, I, I would assume, harder for the Thunder to, to stomach. I guess you'd have to at least attach a first, um, particular, particularly if Noah Vonley was the rest of that salary filler. I mean, the Thunder are just not getting much back in Jang and Vonley in that hypothetical trade. And, you know, if it were Jang and Kogi, that's obviously, Kogi's more attractive with multiple years left on his deal, younger um, than Vonley. But I, I, I would... I, I would still think that that Jang's 17.3 next year rather than Gallo's expiring is just I, I don't think Josh Okogie makes up for that in, in the Thunder's eyes. So you might you might still be talking about Jang, Okogie, and a first for Gallo. I I don't know. We'll we'll see what Gallinari's market is. I'm I mean that's kind of what the buzz has been that they're looking for a first back. Maybe maybe the negative value of Jang the positive value of a Kogi and that first, you know, some sort of future lottery protected first would be enough to, to entice the, the Thunder. I, I think that would get you there. It's just, um, to me, giving up on Josh and Kogi there for, for a half year rental of Gallinari when you're, what are the Wolves, 10 and 18, 10 and 17 right now. I mean, that's uh, 10 and 18. I, 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 it's hard for me to see the logic there. Jeff Teague is different, a little bit different, because he's an expiring contract too. Um, his money works straight up for Gallo, because uh, he's at he's at that 19 million. I don't know how Teague fits in Oklahoma City. They have Chris Paul, Shea Gilders Alexander, and Dennis Schroeder. Um, if that were to, I'm assuming this would have to be a three-team deal where they would again then reroute Jeff Teague somewhere else. But you know, just in a vacuum, is Jeff Teague plus a lottery protected first enough for Gallo? Um, I guess that sounds nice, but Gallo's expiring. You know, do the Wolves want to pay a poor defender beyond this season? Would they want to re-sign him? He'll be 32 next year to play with Cat. I just, I, um, I doubt that. So kind of much like Chris Paul, where that's maybe the, you know, the sexier name than Dennis Schroeder. Um, I don't think the sexy name here, Danilo Gallinari, is, is the one to look at. And I would, if you're talking about acquiring shooting from the Thunder, you know, I would, I'd look more towards Terrence Ferguson. Um, you know, Ferguson is is he was the 21st overall pick in the 2017 draft. Josh Okogie was the 20th overall pick in the 2018 draft. The so the 2.5 million that Ferguson makes this year um, matches up exactly with the 2.5 that Okogie is making. Um, the big difference is that being as you know Ferguson was drafted a year earlier. He only has the one more year on his deal where before approaching, before reaching restricted free agency, where Kogi has two more years on his contract after this year. Um, I, you know, it's, I, I just think that that would probably be the swap if we're talking about Terrence Ferguson is, is a Kogi for Ferguson. Um, they're, they're actually really similar players. They're, uh, they're both really low usage offensively. They, you know, they specialize kind of in point of attack defense. Uh, I mean, Ferguson is even more low usage. He's at 9.6 usage rate this season, where Okogi's at 15.2. Um, but, but, they're, but they're just really, you know, they're, they're similar. And I think, I think Ferguson, I mean, certainly 
gives you more as a shooter. His rookie year, he was 33% from three, 37% last year, 36% this year. Akogi was 28% from three last year, 29% this year. Other than that, though, I think I think the difference that, that maybe benefits Akogi is that he's just a little bit bigger. Um, Ferguson measures 6'5 and a half without shoes, or at the Combine measured that. Akogi measured 6'3 without shoes. But Okogi's wingspan is seven feet. Ferguson's is six nine, so he's a little bit shorter um, there. And and then Ferguson's just really thin. He was one eighty four at the combine. Okogi was was two eleven. Um, I I think it's just that the difference between the two of them is you know Okogi's more of a guy where you would I I think you would say you would feel more comfortable guarding bigger players. We know we've seen Okogi kind of slide up to you know, to be able to switch on to even like a four, he's, you know, he's just big and strong enough where Ferguson at 184 is just, you know, he's just, he's just smaller and thinner. You know, I, I, like I said, I watched that Clippers game and he actually did, Ferguson did a really good job on Paul George, who is, you know, a big three, four. But I, I think part of that is influenced by the, the Thunder playing so many point guards that they kind of are, have been forced into having Ferguson guard a little bit bigger players. Um, so I, I think with all those point guards for them. I mean, if we're trying to, you know, make this work, it makes sense for them to have a little bit thicker of a wing than Ferguson in a Kogi and, you know, maybe vice versa for the wolves that would, they'd be willing to give up some of that. I mean, the wolves already go pretty big on the wing. So they give up some of that, that thickness and strength for Ferguson's additional, um, you know, shooting ability. And, you know, as I just was thinking about this trade, it just kind of, to me brings up the bigger existential sort of question of, you know, how valuable is Josh Okogi on this roster and in this system? I mean, we, we know when he's good, what he's good at. Um, and he brings, he does bring a, a, a ton of value or he can bring a ton of value on the defensive end. But as we look forward, what is the value of a, another young non-shooter in this young core? I mean, Obviously, Culver is having serious struggles with his shot, and he's you know he's a long-term young piece on the books here, and and Andrew Wiggins too is I mean is certainly a capable shooter, but not exactly a marksman. It's just as I'm thinking about this, just one for one, Ferguson for Okogie. I, I just think about the Culver Wiggins and Okogie pairing and how little shooting that is giving now and and maybe there's a little bit of progression from Culver and from Okogi over time I'd like to think so but you would just you'd be getting something more certain in terms of shooting um if you know if they were to have someone like Ferguson who's kind of proven himself as as a shooter and then and then also with Okogi it's just it's worth considering that you know this Rosa's front office didn't draft him that was a Tom Thibodeau Scott Layden pick um how you know how much is he really a part of of the future here? I I don't know the answer to that, but historically, <laughs> how it kind of works is new regimes like their guys. So whether you know, I'm not saying it's this trade for sure, but it's just it's just something. Whenever I'm looking at trades with this team, and you know, considering a Kogi who is a a young cheap piece, I mean, he's making two and a half this year, two seven next year, four one the year after that. That's it. To, to some teams who aren't as star for shooting, that's a really attractive, you know, that's a really attractive piece. I, I think, um, I, I think you could, you could convince teams that that's a, that's a meaningful asset. So it's, the, that's the most likely um, pairing I can find for Ferguson. Other than that, uh, you know, we can go down to the cheaper contracts um, on the books, but which are like, Shabazz Napier, 1-8, Trevion Graham, 1-6, Bell, 1-6, Bates Diop, 1-4, Jalen Noel, 1.4, uh, Nas Reed, 900K. But one for one for Ferguson, none of those guys are enough. You would need to combine them to get up over uh, to get up over $2 million. That's That would make the salaries work for in a straight Ferguson swap. So I don't know. I mean, I guess you could pitch something like Trevion Graham and Jalen Noel. Uh, the money would work there, but – Again, we kind of go back to that tax problem where now OKC is another, uh, what would that be, 800K into the tax. You know, is that to them, is that, you know, what is the value of that? Do 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 they even want 
do they even want to take on more money? Would it, would you need to include more draft picks to kind of make that palatable for them? And then I just think too, from from a Wolves perspective, even if you can get Ferguson without Josh Akogi in the trade, I mean, wouldn't Akogi and Ferguson be somewhat redundant? Um, you know, if they even were on the same team, if they were on the Wolves, it just to me, I guess, by what I'm just getting at is, I feel like if the Wolves are going to make a move for um, a move for Terrence Ferguson, I just think Josh Okogie is a swap there. Um, and I, I don't know. I, I don't know on which side would need to attach assets to that. It seems somewhat even to me, you know, would OKC want to pick because Ferguson is currently, you know, the more productive player? Or, you know, would the Wolves want to pick because Okogie is under contract for an additional year? Uh, you know, I don't know. It's I think John Hollinger calls it, I know John Hollinger calls these challenge trades where you just say, you know, one for one, I think your player, if it's better on my team than my player does currently, you know, you can just kind of swap them. Maybe that's a deal. I, you know, I, I really don't know. It will probably come down to how much the the Wolves prioritize, you know, shooting on, on this roster because Terrence Ferguson has proven to be a, you know, a substantially better shooter than, than Josh Okogi. Um, the last name for the Thunder, and this one kind of falls in the CP3 Gallinari bucket of I just don't get how it's uh, going to happen, is, is Steven Adams. I think we'll see his name on the rumor mill. Uh, it, with the Wolves, uh, you know, how do you how do you really make that work? I mean, you guys know me uh, on this podcast. I've, I'm, I'm big on the idea of, of playing another big next to cat I think I think that would be that's probably his his best future is is not needing to be the, the sole rim protector obviously Steven Adams would bring a ton there but in in that area but but Adams is making 25.8 this year and 27.5 next year so you know they're not gonna pay 50 60 million combined a year for Adams and and cat if Adams you know I'm not saying the wolves would never get a big for that much money, but you would think if they did, they would want both a rim defender and a shooter. And while Steven Adams is a, you know, a great rim defender, rim roller, strong screen setter pass is actually passing the ball really well this year. Um, I just, I don't see that, you know, that pairing mesh up really at all without the, without the floor spacing ability. And so that's why, like I was mentioning before, and just to hit on him again, as I think, I think Nerlens Noel makes more sense as, you know, and whether it's a one-for-one one trade or some sort of add-on, I, I think a Noel-Cat pairing would be really interesting. It would be kind of all the things that, or when we're picking things we like about Cat and Jordan Bell playing together, I mean, Noel is pretty much better across the board than Bell is in, in, in all those facets. So I, I'm interested in that uh, New Orleans Noel. That would be a lot, a lot cheaper. Again, I think maybe some sort of add-on cash filler in a deal that would, you know, the Wolves would, be willing to pay a premium for. I, I think it's, you know, that's that's worth considering. So that's pretty much what I got on the Thunder. I, I think if we're if we're looking at trading with them from the Wolves' perspective, it's you know it's probably a waste of time um, to focus on a move for Chris Paul just because of that money long into the future. Gallinari because he's expiring, and Stephen Adams because he doesn't fit. I, I don't know. It's not impossible that any of those moves are made. I think I highlighted to some degree why. Each of them would make some sense. I just think, logistically speaking, that with the Thunder, a player like Dennis Schroeder, Terrence Ferguson, or Nerlens Noel makes a lot more sense in this roster and in the system. And and their ages. I mean, so Schroeder's 26, Ferguson's 21, and Nerlens Noel's 25. We're, we're now we're talking about the the age range of this this Wolves core. I, I think that th- that's where I'm looking if I'm looking on the trade machine at Wolves and Thunder traits. Uh, we'll take a quick break, and after that, we'll get into that Kings film review. Again, the Wolves play the Kings uh, the day after Christmas. All right, the Sacramento Kings. I just watched their last game, which was against the Memphis Grizzlies, and you know, I, I, hadn't, uh, I hadn't watched much of the Kings since De'Aaron Fox had, had been back. I think he's been back five games now. I actually don't have that in my notes, but... Um, you know, I was interested to see this team, and I, I think they're a team that we believed would be better offensively this season. They're overall for the year, they had a really slow start, but they're 20th, 20th in offensive rating, 
17th in defensive rating and 20th in net rating. Um, they're, they're currently 12 and 17, which is ninth in the West. Um, but even if you kind of cut out that, that beginning of the year, the last 10, they're 13th and O, 18th and D, 17th and net. They're just, they're just not really, um, you know, a special team. It's just for them to be in the nine seed right now is, is really representative of how, how weak the bottom of this West has turned out to be. I mean, what a, everyone's talking about this, but what a change it's been from our perception of how hard it was going to be to compete for the playoffs. I mean, by default, this Kings team kind of is. Um, I'm going to run through their their starting lineup and who they play because I thought it was interesting. Luke Walton went with a with a, just an eight-man rotation last game. Bogdan Bogdanovich was out. Um, otherwise, you know, it would probably it would have been nine. Um, he's he's questionable for the Kings game on Monday against the Rockets. And I mean, you would think that maybe he'll then be back on Thursday against the Wolves, you know, we'll see. But but he's he doesn't he doesn't start for them regardless. The, who the uh who the Kings are starting is at point guard. Um De'Aaron Fox, Buddy Heald, Harrison Barnes, Nemanja Bielitsa, and Rashawn Holmes. Again, Fox has only played in twelve of twenty nine games this year, but just to kind of give you guys a little bit of perspective of the you know the, the flawed stat that is RPM um, I'll give you that for each of these players. Fox is 70th among 83 point guards in RPM so far this year. Uh, Buddy Heald, he was 3 of 18 shooting in that last game against the Grizzlies. And before that, the, the previous game, 3 of 15. And before that, 5 of 13. So you know, he's um, he's in a cold streak, I guess, which is a, a good sign for this Wolves team. But before that, you know, he, he was playing really well. He's still shooting uh, 37% from three for the year. He ranks 17th among uh, 121 shooting guards, according to ESPN's Real Plus Minus. Harrison Barnes, I was kind of surprised. He, he looked pretty good in the game, I, but I was still surprised to see that um, he's stacking up really well statistically this year. He's 15th um, amongst 80 small forwards. He um, has been uh, about even offensively and then um, rates well defensively. I don't know exactly what that's a, a product of, maybe just a small sample size for them. But uh, statistically speaking, at least, Harrison Barnes is having a good year. And then our old friend, Nemina Bielitsa, he is shooting 41% from three for the third year in a row, being over 40%. Um, he's also, he didn't start the first game of the year for them, but has started the last 28. I mean, he's a really big part of this Kings team. And I was kind of having a career year uh, amongst power forwards. He's 43rd of 95 power forwards. And then at center, kind of the the gem they found in free agency this year was was Rashawn Holmes. Uh, he ranks, he's, he's on ESPN, he's listed as a power forward, which I disagree with, but whatever, um, is ranked eighth out of 95 power forwards uh, in real plus minus. He's just He's been great. He's been the fifth best defensive power forward, um, according to that metric. And just, just watching him play, I mean, they really go to him early and often, and, and he, he can't shoot at all. He has the weirdest free throw form. Um, but just as a rim roller, he's a huge weapon. And I know we'd like to say that centers, you can easily find replacement level players at that position. I don't know. I mean, I think we're learning with this Wolves team this year between uh, Jordan Bell and Noah Vonley and even Gorgie Jang, that those, the replacement level of center can be low. And the difference, really, with Rashawn Holmes is he's been way better than that. And you'll, you'll see on Thursday, he's kind of a, he's kind of really been a menace on both sides of the floor. Uh, he, he provides a lot for them as a, as a screener and roller. And then defensively, he's kind of all over the place and really uh, been a strong rebounder. So I think, I don't know if we want to talk most improved player or anything like that, but but he's he's really you know kind of made a leap now in what was this be his maybe fourth or fifth year in the league, uh, and then off the bench they just they just got back Marvin Bagley, uh, he missed 22 games he's been back for the, their last six and he looks awful, he I just kind of ruins everything that they have going when that starting lineup is in there and that's just a, a problem for them they don't really because he doesn't shoot he doesn't mesh with. Uh, with Rashawn Holmes in the front court there of, you know, of two non-shooters that kind of in each other's way. So then maybe they, they, they've tried playing him with Bielitsa who can spread the floor, but, but then Bagley isn't really defensive, isn't really a defensive center. So that's problematic. I mean, just statistically in these eight games he's played this year, he's, he's, uh, he's ranking 
poorly statistically 78th of 95 power forwards and just offensively I don't really know what to say other than he just is kind of a ball hog um, constantly searching for his own his own post up as well as they did uh, with the Rashawn Holmes signing in free agency Corey Joseph and Trevor Ariza the other two players in their rotation have not been good Joseph is 80th of 83 point guards shooting it really poorly 35 30% from three, a career low true shooting. Just in the game I watched, he was very unremarkable in, you know, in 25 minutes of of play. I think that's is kind of proving to be a bit of an overpay. And, you know, you want to talk about replacement level players. I think the point guard position is has just as strong of an argument. And so for them to go and throw as much money as they did at Corey Joseph and with multiple years, that is looking like um, – a worse trade though you know Corey joseph has been good in the past he's definitely not washed up maybe he's just kind of you know getting comfortable uh on a new team and a new system and then trevor ariza is uh old <laughs> he he started every game the last six years i looked it up um and this year he's coming off the bench for the kings he ranks 57th among 80 small forwards according to real plus minus i i don't i don't know what they're what they're really getting from him that was always a bizarre sort of signing um, you know, seemed a little desperate, make the playoffs type move. Ariza's just, uh, I think he's, to put it simply, a player who's better on better teams. Once you start asking him to be more, I mean, it's the same thing with the Suns last year, right? When he started the year there, it's just a terrible team. And he was then trying to take guys off the dribble and do things outside of his game. Um, Ariza is, yeah, just kind of unremarkable, at least in this setting in Sacramento from what I've seen. So I guess that's not – it's. It's not painting a, a very happy picture for the Kings going into their matchup against the Wolves. They do play the Rockets uh, Monday night before they play the Wolves on on Thursday. I think if we specifically, you know, look at how they match up with the Timberwolves, like any, you know, any sort of analysis, we look at how is a team going to defend Cat. Uh, you, you would think that's you know going to be Rashawn Holmes, who again I, I think has been really solid defensively. He can get out on Cat and. And, and play out on the perimeter and and also kind of hold his own inside uh, a, a enough um but but I'll what I'll be really looking for in that game and this is all assuming cat will be back by Thursday uh, it's what what do you know what do the kings do when Holmes isn't on the floor you know who who are they gonna who are they gonna put on cat again Bagley and Bielitsa are like their backup centers Dwayne Dedman has been out of their rotation for about a month now. Um, I don't know. I would assume Luke Walton tries to match up all of the Rashawn Holm minutes with with Cat. But if it's if it's no if they don't play Deadman at all, then Bagley Bielitsa, yikes! That uh, that could be um, a, a real opportunity for Cat to get right. Uh, on the other side of the ball, I think just as we look at the dynamic offensive weapons that the Wolves have to offer and Cat, you, you look at. You look at uh, De'Aaron Fox and Buddy Heald. Uh, like I said, Heald is has been shooting poorly recently, but you know I, he's a, a pure shooter. I would assume that he um, he gets back to himself there. I would. What we've kind of what I've been noticing, you know, over the course of the year is Andrew Wiggins getting more and more sort of autonomy to and just the bandwidth to to take the better options that the opposing teams have to offer kind of he's the guy that they're they're having chase um you know around screens to you know to the the shooters so i think he'll be the one chasing buddy healed and i would guess that a kogi will take deer and fox um that that i mean that's kind of what you got to slow down with them um, holmes isn't isn't special i mean bagley could could kind of light you up if he's having if it's a, a good night he's he's physically in imposing and, and talented but if they the wolves are able to slow down the point of attack is, is kind of becoming the narrative for every game if they can do that you know, they should be able to handle these teams can a kogi slow down fox and can can wiggins you know use that energy to chase chase healed around I, I would assume at least that's just my guess of what those matchups will be but i think you know that's where where it starts for them uh, again i'm recording this before the golden state game but if if Cat does play, I I mean they're I looked they're favored to win that game Vegas wise, 
that that should be a win, I think, if Cat's playing. And then the Sacramento game, you know, could be very winnable too. If the if the Wolves win those two games and Sacramento loses to Houston on Monday, the the Wolves would pass the Kings in the standings, even despite a, a ten game losing streak. And the and the Kings are the nine seed right now. So, I you know I'm not I'm putting my ideas of a playoff push for this team somewhat to rest, but I've just mostly say that as a you know an indication of just how crazy it is how much this the Western Conference is, has really has really fallen off this year. The Wolves, I mean. The Wolves could get right in these two games. If they if they're able to beat Golden State, they're able to beat Sacramento, then the next two, it's home against the eight and twenty one Cavs, and then home against the sixteen and thirteen Brooklyn Nets. I I, I hate saying winning streak on top of a losing streak, but then you know that's an opportunity to get at least two or three wins if they're you know, provided Cat is playing, of course. But it's this they've they've gone through the gauntlet of the schedule and they failed miserably. Obviously, they've lost 10 in a row. Things do lighten up a little bit um, before the new year here. And um, I don't know. To make this year interesting, it would just be nice if they, you know, to make the turn of the year interesting, if the Wolves can can pull together a couple of those. Uh, After Christmas on on Thursday, I will be back with Charlie to kind of chop up whatever uh, does happen in the Golden State game. I guess we'll still be recording right before that Kings game. But um, then we'll 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 touch on more broadly, you know, what this wolf streak looks like. Quite frankly, I just didn't want to do a podcast about a ten-game losing streak after just having done a podcast all about what went wrong over the eight-game losing streak. So I hope um, I think that this was a good, you know, in between of something between not just talking about what the dysfunction of this team, and I think talking about the wolves without cat is just pretty much a, a useless exercise. So we have this on the thunder. We have uh, an idea of what those teams look like meshed up together. I will, you know, continue to over time, sprinkle these in team specific. I don't know. Maybe I'll do the next next just because everyone seems to be into Dennis Smith jr. We'll see more and more news rumors, all that will come together and then we'll, we'll dig in there. So thank you um, for, for, cutting out some time over your holiday to listen to this again it means um a lot to me for you to to stay tuned in here even though your team is on a 10 game losing streak so thank you happy holidays i'm dan moore until after christmas peace out how i'm feeling man i hope it never stop yeah